from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15. 1 Samuel, chapter 15. Somebody saw a bumper sticker. Uh, some people, you know, like to, you know, observe bumper stickers. And he saw his bumper sticker had two words: question authority. Now I think that probably the longer we live, the more we are made aware that that's not just a cutesy saying somebody puts on a bumper sticker that really has become or is becoming the motto of our society. Question authority. No longer is the voice of parents the voice of authority. No longer is the teacher in the classroom the voice of authority. There is a diminishing respect for law enforcement. I mean, it's become the thing to do is to bash a cop there is a diminishing respect for people with gray hair. Not even the President of the United States carries much clout. Question authority has replaced such statements as, yes sir, or thank you I needed that rebuke, or you know you're right and I am wrong. Ours is a talk back, answer back, get back, fight back society. Now if you question that, then you've, you're out of touch with the modern day classroom, especially in the urban setting. If you question that, then you've not had to reprimand some employee lately. And you can trace this defiance that has become the characteristic of our society to the home. For there we develop the habit of defying authority, of questioning authority. James Dobson, that many of you um, read religiously, has a book entitled Straight Talk to Men and Women. I want to read you some, something out of this book that I think is, uh, you know, kind of nailed down where, where I'm coming from in this preface. Somehow, someone has communicated to youth that they need freedom from adult leadership and that authority, even when permeated with love, is harmful to children. That concept gives tremendous force which is operating within the children's rights movement. You didn't know that there was a children's rights movement. There is a uh, minority rights movement, and there is a children's rights movement. F true story. The, objectives, the objective of the children's rights movement is seen in a document written entitled The Child's Bill of Rights. There are ten articles in the Child's Bill of Rights. Number one, children have the right to make all their decisions. This is the fundamental right on which all other rights stand. Two, children of any age should have the right to live where they choose. 
Example, if a three-year-old has a candy-buying neighbor, he has the right to take up with him. Three, children of any age should have the right to vote and make any decision an adult can make. Four, children should have access to any information that is available to adults, pornography notwithstanding. Five, any sexual activity which is legal for parents should be legal for children so that if an eight-year-old child wants to move in with an adult male, there should be no legal barrier. Six, children of any age should be responsible for their own educational pursuits, translated. If they want to go to school, they can. If they don't, they shouldn't have to. Number seven, we should make the physical environment fit the size of the children rather than make children adapt to the physical environment of adults. Eight, children should never be spanked under any circumstance. Number nine, the same system of justice which applies to adults should apply to children, translated to mean no disciplinary action at school until they are given a free trial faced with the evidence tried before a jury of their peers. Ten, children of any age should be permitted to join a union receive equal pay for equal work, and there should be no legal constraints in the management of their own money, end of quote. Said James Dobson, this, is, this Bill of Rights is written to destroy parental authority. Now, you say that's an exaggerated illustration? Let me ask you, do you deny that the spirit of our age is becoming more and more defiant to restraint and submission. I was watching a television article, uh, kind of a um, 2020 the other night. It wasn't 2020, it was much like that. In which a man who teaches in the inner city of one of the, in the school of the Northeast was being interviewed. He said, I teach math. I have a 45-minute class. I teach math for 15 minutes, and I spend 30 minutes trying to get my class under control. The origin of defiance can be traced back, defiance can be traced back to the home. As a matter of fact, the primal defiance, the origin of defiance, can be traced back to the first home. And so I want us to do that before we get into 1 Samuel. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 4. Now this is the first home, Adam and Eve. They had two sons that are mentioned here, Cain and Abel. You know the story. Cain brought an offering to God. Abel brought an offering to God. And Cain brought the kind of offering that he wanted to bring. And his offering and Cain and his offering were rejected. Abel and his offering were accepted. Well, Cain um, killed his brother. I want you to look at verse 6. 
Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Now when we read that, we put the emphasis on the word angry. Why are you angry? Let me tell you where the emphasis is, should be placed. The emphasis should be placed on the you. Why are you angry? You of all people, you have no reason to be angry. Now I have given a command, this is God speaking, I have given a command, I have made a requirement, I have established a law, I am the creator, I have the authority, I have the right, by reason of my creation, my creative power. So why are you angry? Why are you angry when a law has been given? You have no reason to be angry. I'm the one who has the reason to be angry because my law has been defied. Now look at verse 7. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, words, you, know, you could translate the word right there, put the word right in there, substitute it. He's saying, if you do right, that is, if you're obedient to commands, authority, if you do what is right, then your countenance will be lifted up. We're told, look, if you want to really, you know, if you want to have a good time, I mean, do your own thing. God says, if you do right, if you're obedient, if you accept authority, if you submit to authority, if you do what is right, you'll have a better life. You'll have the right kind of attitude. You'll feel better. You'll do better. But he says, if you do, if you do not, if you do not well, if you don't obey authority, sin is crouching at the door. What a picture of a rebellious heart. Sin is crouching at the door. And if you live in defiance of authority, right outside your door is sin. It's crouching like a, it's a picture of an animal there to pounce on you. Now, I'm talking primarily now at this point to young people, to, to children really. If you do not begin to do what is right, and the Bible says honor your father and mother, obey your parents for this is right. You do not, if you don't do what is right, the, 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 the end result of that is that sin will have you like an animal. But he says, it's, um, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Now, the point he's making there is, is it doesn't have to be this way because you have within you the ability to overcome this sin that's crouching at the door and the ability is in your making up your mind to submit to authority. You have what is necessary to say no to rebellion. Now, if you want to see rebellion in living color, look at verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know am I my brother's keeper? You can see a curled lip and a defiant look. The living Bible has it. How am I to know? Am I supposed to follow my brother around? 
Am the defiance, the attitude, am I supposed to keep track with my brother? You want to find him, find him yourself. I submit to you tonight that an adolescent with a teachable spirit is an exception. An employee who welcomes reproof is an exception. And dare I say it? A wife who says, I want to know my husband's goals and dreams so I can help him fulfill them is an exception. Now let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now let me give you the background of 1 Samuel 15. It's like a batter at the plate with a 3-2 count against him. I mean, he's got 3-2 count and he's been in a batting slump. The first strike is found in verse 13. King Saul is the batter. The first strike is that he hurried up and he offered a sacrifice up to God. Now that sounds real good, except he, hadn't, he didn't have the right to do that. The law said that a priest was the only one who could offer up a sacrifice to God. But he was in a hurry. He was a self-willed man. And what difference does it make that you got these laws? And so he offered up this sacrifice to God when he didn't have the right to do it. Strike one. Strike two comes in chapter 14 when he makes this rash vow to God. And now the ball is on the way to the plate. And God doesn't throw him a fork ball or a 90 mile an hour slider. He just lobs one right down the middle and says to Saul, if you strike out on this one, the game is over. Now look at what happens. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek. Now Amalek, the, uh, the Amalekites were the uh, ancient foes of Israel. As a matter of fact, they were the first ones to attack Israel after the Exodus. God didn't forget that. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so he says to Saul, let's go down to, Amalek, to the Amalekites, to Amalek, and we'll, we're, I'm going to straighten up the record. He says to him in verse 3, Now go strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. And do not spare him. Put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, cattle and donkey. Now that, I'd say that's pretty good uh, instruction about what he's supposed to do, wouldn't you? Somebody asked me in my class, uh, why was it that God commanded uh, these uh, men in ancient times to go and just kill everybody in a city, women and children, etc.? Well, I have an answer to that. That's in another sermon. Or if you want to ask me after this over, I'll tell you. But the instruction, the authority of the, the, the Word of God was go down there and kill everything. I mean even down to the donkeys. Now I want you to skip down to verse 7 and we'll see what happens. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But 
Saul spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly. Look at that underline, not willing to destroy them utterly. I thought God said kill everything. They weren't willing to do that. I'm not, we're not going to do that. Everything that was despised and worthless, it was of no value to them, they got rid of it. But what God told them was to destroy everything. Now, there are four, you take your notes, there are four obvious characteristics of a rebellious heart. If you want to check out your neighbor, I know you don't have a rebellious heart, but you might think about your neighbor. He might have one. So you want to check him out. There are four obvious characteristics of a rebellious heart. Number one is found in verse 8. Defiance against authority to accomplish our own desires. Defiance against authority to accomplish our own desires. I have a desire my own. And he spared Agag and the choicest of the flock. Why? Because if he did what God wanted him to do, he wouldn't have been able to f see his own desires fulfilled. See, He had his own desires and he wasn't willing to do what God said because to do that he couldn't get his own desires fulfilled. It is defiance of authority to accomplish our own desires. I want you to look at verse 7, interesting thing. I regret, this is the Lord saying to Samuel, I regret I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. Look here, watch this. And Samuel was distressed and cried to the Lord all night. Now don't you tell me that the voices of authority don't have compassion. I remember when my mother and my father laid down rules for me to follow and gave me a deadline, a, a what do you call it, a, when I had to come in at a certain time, curfew. I thought they were the ugliest, meanest people in all the world. And I just knew that my parents really did that because they were ugly, you know, cruel, and and uh, my friends had just these great parents because they 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 didn't have a curfew. I realize now how many times, true story, my mother cried in the night because of my defiance. Samuel cried all night. Now it is not true that when somebody gives a command of authority that they have no compassion. They are probably the most compassionate. And they probably care the most. And what you read when you read through the scripture is that God's heart was continually broken and the Holy Spirit was continually grieved. It is not true that the voices of authority have no compassion. All right, second characteristic. 
rationalization and cover-up to excuse sinful action. All the old cover-up stuff. Now look at verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I've, command, I've carried out the command of the Lord. Well, I've done just exactly what the Lord told me to do. But Samuel said, I love it. I have never gotten over this verse. <laughs> but what? Then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear. While you're telling me that you did everything God commanded you, what he's hearing, you know, in the background. He said, okay, while you're telling me that you did all of this, I can't, I, would you speak up because all these sheep and, and this, these cattle back here that are supposed to be dead are drowning out your voice. You say, you can't cover it up. I've done exactly what the Lord says. It's just a matter of interpretation. You ever? Rationalization. Now, I've jotted down some things that we use in rationalization. See if they sound familiar. God understands. God told me one time, He said, I won't be there Sunday, but I'm sure the Lord understands. I said, that's your problem. That's <laughs> where you're going to have some trouble. God understands. God is a God of grace. You ever heard that one? God wrote me one time, gave me this long story about, you know, when I preach negatively, God understands God is a God of grace. God forgives all my wrong. You ever heard that one? I'm only human. Compared to old so-and-so, the scripture has a cultural context. I had a long discussion with a guy one time. He said, well, the, 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 that stuff was written in a different culture. See? All right, what am I hearing in the background? You, rationalization and cover-up is what is characteristic of a rebellious heart. Number three, defensiveness when confronted with truth. Defensiveness when confronted with truth. Verse 15. And Saul said, They brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen. Look at this. To sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we uh, have utterly destroyed. He said, man, we got all these sheep and stuff. We saved them because we want to make a great sacrifice to the Lord. I mean, he's just really working on it. And he's, the, the construction here is that he's just over and over. I mean, he can't, Samuel can't get a word in, ex, in, in edgewise. But verse 16, then Samuel said to the Lord, would you shut up a minute? That's paraphrase. He said, wait and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Uh, back off a minute. No more excuses. It's time to listen. Stop being defensive. Don't do you any good. Number four. Resistance to authority when wrong has been committed is the final characteristics, characteristic of a rebellious heart. Now I want to show you something interesting if you're still with me. Verse 21. 
Now, Saul is still speaking. It says this. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord. Look at that word, over, circle that word. Sacrifice to the Lord your God. And all of a sudden, Saul is making a disclaimer that God is his God. Now up to this point, Saul has accepted the fact that God is, the Lord is his Lord, and he's dealing with it that way, but when it comes down to the bottom line and the truth is known, he resists accountability, and he even denies that God is his God. Now verses 22, 23, some of the strongest words in the Bible. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? You know what he's saying? He's saying it doesn't, God's not, you know, He's not real thrilled just because you come to church and you make your sacrifice of song or offering you're in Sunday school, you serve on committees. That's not, God's not impressed with that. Let me tell you what impresses Him. Obedience. Behold, to obey is better than to bring a sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams, the richest sacrifice. Now, if you want to see something that's shaky, that's earth-shaking, look at verse 23. For rebellion is the sin, is as the sin of divination. Now, you know what the sin of divination is? Witchcraft. Witchcraft. Now, there's a whole lot of going on now in this country, about, in the, even in our community, about Satan worship. Everybody's all worked up about Satan worship and, and witchcraft, etc. You hearing me? God says that a rebellious heart is as bad as witchcraft and satanic worship. Are you hearing that? You got children that are messing around with Satanism and witchcraft? You'd be absolutely terrified. It would, it, would, it, it would be the worst thing you ever heard of. And you'd be seeking help from somebody. I promise you that. Let me tell you, something bad as that is a rebellious child. And if you, you know, you, you would be appalled if somebody ever accused you of witchcraft or satanic worship. Let me tell you something. Rebellion against authority is as bad as that. I didn't write it. It's what it says. And insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you from being king. You know what He's saying? He's saying a rebellious spirit disqualifies you 
from the great purposes of God for your life. Wow. And so Saul begins to explain to Samuel why. He says, I have sinned. Finally, it's out of his mouth. It's the hardest word to get out of any. I have sinned. He said, I've transgressed the command of the Lord and your words. And this is why, because of peer pressure, I feared the people. Peer pressure has caused me to rebel against you and authority. And I've listened to their voice, peer pressure, and human counsel, he said, is the reason why I have become rebellious. Sound like anybody you know? And here's the sad conclusion. He says, Now therefore please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you. And then he said, verse 30, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people. I want you to go back with me so I can at least save face with my elders. So Samuel went back following Saul. And Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel did what Saul was meant to do. Verse 35. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. For Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Rebellion. Now there are three applications. There are three stages of rebellion. I want you to get this. There are three stages of rebellion. The stage of rebellion in children, in adolescence, and in adulthood. Number one, a rebellious nature is conceived in a home where authority, where parents relinquish authority and control. It's conceived in a home where parents relinquish authority and control. Second, as it relates to adolescence, a rebellious nature is cultivated among peers who resist control. Now it's conceived in the home where parents have no control and don't care. It's cultivated among peers where there is no respect for authority. Now, I used to think that the most important people in the lives of young people were their parents and their, or their 
preacher or they're a Sunday school teacher. I no longer think that. I think the most important people with, with, in the lives of young people are their friends. And if we choose friends who have no respect for authority, it cultivates the lack of authority in us or the rebellious nature in us. Number three, a rebellious life is crushed by God when He regains control. Now the bottom line is, is that God is going to crush a rebellious life. He'll take control. The question is, do you, can you say, Lord, what will you have me do? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for these young people who sit before me, whose lives give evidence of submission and surrender and respect for their teachers, their parents. We love them and we're grateful for them. We can look out over this audience and see their parents know that they care enough about their children to give them guidance and counsel, cry over them, pray for them. We know, Father, there are so many who live out of control. Sin crouches at the door. We pray for them tonight. We pray for parents, for more people who are willing to become instruments of God in the molding and the shaping of young lives, for more people like Gib Dalzell and Andy Harrison, men and women, God, that, that care about young people, Phyllis Rustin, the Duncans. Lord, the names go on and on in our mind. We pray you'll give us teachers and parents like these. Give us, God, raise up a generation of children who accept authority. We pray tonight for those of us who are adults that just do our own thing. You command that we tithe. We can't do what we want to do and tithe. You command that we teach. We can't be gone on weekends if we submit to that. You command that we witness. Well, we might be embarrassed. Help us to be people who live under the authority of God, obedient, submissive, caring. And if there is rebellion in our spirit in any area of our life, show us. Put your finger on it. Cause us to know it. To cry out, I have sinned. I'm sorry. For an attitude of submission and 
surrender this moment of invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Now look this way. There are three invitations. An invitation for you to give your heart and life to Christ. It's a matter of surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. Maybe to come and join this church, to submit to the discipline of church membership. Or to rededicate yourself. Maybe you have a defiant spirit, rebellious spirit. You're not going to take the word of somebody else. You're not going to listen to people with authority. You want to confess that. You want to surrender that defiant, rebellious heart to the Lord. Why don't we do it while we stand to sing. You come. God leads you to come.